the word of the Lord would come to my grandmother and my great aunt Edna. And whenever I would get distracted from my studies or I would start acting a fool, my grandmother and my aunt Edna would three-way call me and then speak the word of the Lord to me and, and set me on the right path. And whether that was prompted by my mother being like, telling my grandmother and my great aunt, you need to call April and you need to set her right. Or whether it was just the word of the Lord. However, it spoke to me. And I had no psalm of repentance, but I corrected my path. And that is the story, how we start Psalm 51. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love to just read it through you. We're going to read it through, and then we're going to dive right in. Psalm 51, starting with verse 1. David just jumps right into it. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully Sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O God, that, I'm, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice. This is very interesting. Or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit. With burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, and bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Interesting. What I gleaned from just the last section of this chapter is that David is saying, recognizing, if you will, that praise, coming to church, because that is the the altar of antiquity, right? Coming and presenting your praise is not what God desires unless the right spirit is within you and you cannot have the right spirit if your spirit is divided. If your spirit is still holding on to something that needs to be let go, that needs to be brought to the throne of God and needs to be repented on, but you're here and you're sitting and you're in your best, it's not what God desires. But I digress. My question for you as we set the scene, and this has very little to do with what you might think it does, but 
Have you ever taken a Hollywood tour? No, really, like have you ever gotten in a bus and gone and seen celebrity homes? Has anybody ever done that? Please tell me, okay, great. Like I've always wanted to do that. I've been to California many times. I've seen the Hollywood Walk of Fame like once, but I've never, ever, ever taken a tour and I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to drive around and see celebrity homes. And you know, those tour guides, I wonder if they do like say, so-and-so lives here and they bought it for this amount from so-and-so and so-and-so's their neighbor and they, this is the architect that designed it. And I, I really wanna go like see the designs and kind of get ideas like, like I can afford their ideas. But the point is, I want to see like what it looks like, the landscape, because you know that it's designed that in every part of the day and in every season that the beauty of the architecture of their home is highlighted, right? And I really wanna go in the evening. Like, I really wanna see it. I wanna see the light hitting it just right and their gardens and the water scenes that they have going. I just really wanna see it. But you know, when we read about David's adulterous affair with Bathsheba and we, we read the scene and, and all of it, we get this sense that David didn't know what he was looking at. That David had no idea who Bathsheba was. And that's just, that's just not the case because imagine living in the Hollywood Hills, Calabasas, Hidden Hills, whatever the fancy zip code you may refer to, they all know who their neighbor is. Like if, if I'm living next to Bill Gates, I'm gonna know that I'm living next to Bill Gates. I once stayed with my friend who lived um, next to a basketball player. Yeah, that was the first thing they told me when I got to their house. Oh, we live next to a San Antonio Spur basketball player. And I, so you know your neighbors. You know who lives around you. If you're in one of those celebrity neighborhoods, you understand who is around you. Don't hear my word for it. I, wanna, I want to show you so we can see the depth of what David was saying here. So 2 Samuel chapter 11, you're all very familiar with this story, I'm sure. So if you wanna turn your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel, it'll also be on the screen and I will read it for you. This is verse one of 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring of the year, oh, beautiful time of the year, when kings normally, what is the word? Normally go out to war, David sent himself, no, David sent Joab, we already have a whole story right there, and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites, and they destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, however, but David stayed behind in Jerusalem. So he wasn't where he should have been, right? Late one afternoon after his midday rest, must be nice, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told by his assistant, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. We'll stop there. Okay, so just imagine the scene. Like, Hidden Hills, California, Calabasas. It's a beautiful spring evening. The weather is just right. 
there's a beautiful soft wind, there's lovely music playing, maybe some street corner performer is earning a few coins, there's a lovely spice, oil, scent, and David waking up from his rest, it's a beautiful time to go out on the roof, and he sees a woman. Now, she's close enough that he can tell that it's a woman, right? It can't be like, it says he looked out over the city, but he didn't look that far. He wasn't looking out like, what is that? No, he saw her. And maybe he can't tell. I'll give, him, give David the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he couldn't tell who his neighbor was by the roof lines. But when his assistant comes to him and he's like, hey, who is that? And she says, or he says, this is the daughter of Iliam. He already knew who that was. Iliam is the son of his advisor, whose words, the Bible says, was like the wisdom of God. So David already knew, that's my advisor's granddaughter. And Uriah the Hittite was a dead giveaway because Uriah was his elite guard, part of his elite guard. So whoever can afford to live in David's neighborhood, they were, they were uppity people. David knew. And Sometimes the environment doesn't play, doesn't give us the benefit. You know, the environment was so good. The area, the feeling, the vibe was so right. This isn't the first time. You know when you watch a movie, speaking of Hollywood, and you see a movie and the arc and the person is becoming evil and they're transitioning and making really bad decisions and the mood changes, the music changes, the scenery changes. It's not like that in real life. When we live our lives, sometimes the scenery doesn't do us any favors. Sometimes everything seems good. Sometimes you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time doing bad things. Eve in a garden, stumbling, oh wow, what is this, a tree that I'm not supposed to be around alone. It's, the weather is still nice, the flowers are still blooming. And when she saw, the Bible says, that the tree was good, Hebrew word tov. That's the same word that David uses to describe Bathsheba. He saw that she was beautiful. She was good. That's the same word that God says over and over when he's creating the world, usurping the ideology of God and putting it in our human mindset. It was good, but it was not good. And this story may seem like, you know, David's life is very messy. David's life is a life of drama constantly played out. And you can sympathize with David and his reasoning for not going to war. He is, a, he is in the period of his life where he can afford to pay someone to fight his battles. He wants to end when he's on top. And you remember, he's been running from Saul for years. He is not about that life anymore. He doesn't want to be out there in the caves anymore. But we understand, and I'm telling you today, the Psalm 51 is not just David's legacy, but it is our legacy. And a lot of times we are afraid of approaching these kinds of subjects because we're afraid of our humanity. We love to read stories about Daniel. Daniel is just the shining beacon of perfection. But we are not all Daniels. Some of us are Davids. And some of us need to realize that we're human. This is the legacy of a lot of people represented in the Bible. If you know people in the Bible 
who have a tidbit of their story and it looks really messy and it's unended, David is written for them. David's Psalms is written for them. We don't get to see the endings. We only get to see pieces. And a lot of times when we, we, we read about the rich young ruler, for example, we just see him walking away sad, but we don't know the rest of the story. We don't know the journeying and how God ran after him, pursued him over and over and over again to lay down the thing and come to God so that God can renew a right spirit within him. We don't know if his story ended differently. All we know is that he approached Jesus and he walked away. But how many times do we approach Jesus and we walk away? And David shows us that there is still hope and that God will come again and again. The word of the Lord will chase you down. Somebody better say amen. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, am I the only one that needs to be chased down? I know that I'm not. Please, you guys are making me feel like the worst sinner up here. I know that we need to be chased down. Some of us are the rich young men. Some of us are the bad soil. We have neglected and we have pursued the easy way. And God is still knocking on the door of our heart or he's chasing us down by some other means to remind us that he's the only one that can satisfy. The gospel of Psalm, especially 51, is our story that you can get it wrong a thousand times and God can make it right. And I hope that is what you want. And let me, let me just say, Jesus quotes the book of Psalm more than any other book. He quotes David more than any other person. What does that say? When you read Psalm 51, what does that say to you? That Jesus, in his perfection, who knew no sin, finds his inspiration from one of the most messiest persons known. He's quoting David. He's not quoting Daniel. He's quoting David. What does that say? And what do we need? Why? There is an immediate want that trips all of us up. There is something that is our stronghold that is keeping us. David, it wasn't the adulterous fair, it was his impulsivity, his recklessness. And this leads us, all of us, down a slippery spiritual death. And God is there to reach down and be like us. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says it best. The Christian will find scarcely any difficulties in the praying of these Psalms. However, the question could arise as to how one is to think about the fact that Christ also prays the Psalms with us. Why would God need to renew his heart and train his spirit? Why would God? How can the sinless one ask for forgiveness in no other in no way other than he can as the sinless one bear the sins of the world and be made sin for us? Do you understand what she's saying? And not for the sake of his sins, but for the sake of our sins, which he has taken upon himself and for which he suffers. Does Jesus pray for the forgiveness of sins? He positions himself entirely for us. He wants to be a man before God as we are. 
Amen. So he prays also the most human of all prayers with us and thereby demonstrates precisely that he is the true son of God, David's root, Jesus. Brian McLaren says, we note too how the psalmist realizes his personal responsibility. He reiterates, my, my transgression, my iniquity, my sin. He does not throw blame on circumstances, the beautiful scenery, or talk about temperament or maxisms of society or bodily organization. He doesn't blame it on church. He doesn't blame it on politics. All of these had some share in impelling him to sin, but after all allowance made for them, the deed is the doers and he must bear its burden. But Christ invites us to come before him and lay our burdens down so he can take it. I love the way Ellen White kind of summarizes the things that we've just read. David often triumphed in God, and yet he dwelt much upon his own unworthiness and sinfulness. His conscience was not asleep nor dead. My sin, he cried, is ever before me. He did not flatter himself that sin was a matter with which he had nothing to do and that should not concern him. As he, as he saw the depth of his deceit in his heart, he was deeply disgusted with himself and prayed that God would keep him back by his power from presumptuous sins and cleanse him from all secret faults. Myself included, I need this. I need Jesus every hour. I need to write my Psalm of repentance. And I invite you to do the same. What is often more presumptuous then our secret wants and our sins is our presumption that God does not fully understand our humanity. God understands what you're struggling with. The God that created, that can create a clean heart as if he created the world, can create something new in you. So what is your psalm of repentance? What are you going to write to God? What are you going to say about how he is redeeming you? What are you going to say about the things that he has taught you to lay down at his feet? We need to, like, listen, you never know on the other side of eternity, Jesus could come to you when you lay your crown at his feet and he could say, I'd like to share something with you. And he can read back the words that you wrote. Can you imagine David on the other side of eternity hearing all of the times that Jesus spoke his words, you never know what Jesus might say about the things that are on your heart. Embrace the fact that God took on your humanity for you and he wants your psalm of repentance so your heart can be made right in him. Amen and amen.